0: Welcome to the Business Radio Network. Enjoy Small Biz, Big Voices with Stephanie Rising. Hi, I'm Stephanie Rising, a business coach and author in beautiful Tucson, Arizona. Being a small business owner is rewarding, but can feel lonely. Few people understand what it's like to sweat payroll, market themselves as a brand, or create revenue streams from scratch. For the next hour, join your tribe on Small Biz, Big Voices, the podcast that celebrates the stories and impact of your fellow small business owners. Today, we're going to visit with Jeremy Sharp of the Rancho Sarita Company. Our interview will conclude with a Proust lightning round, and our final segment will be Dear Coach, when I'll coach listeners through issues they've emailed in. First, it's my pleasure to introduce Jeremy Sharp. Jeremy is an Arizona native with a focus in real estate community development, organizational change, and business strategy. He specializes in working with team members and stakeholders in community development to ensure a positive collaboration and to create a sustainably built environment that enriches people's lives. He is the chief operating officer of the Rancho Cerita Company, which oversees the development and operation of the award-winning Rancho Cerita Community. For over 20 years, the company has remained dedicated to its mission of creating a better life for its community of approximately 18,000 residents. As part of this, it now offers more than 200 events per year, over 30 free health and wellness classes per week, special programs, and outstanding amenities to those who call the community home. Jeremy and his leadership team are equally committed to making the lives of their employees better. The management company was a 2018 copper cactus finalist for the blue cross blue shield of arizona best place to work award and they are nominated again this year it has been a meaningful recognition of the company's steadfast belief in extensive job benefits internal advancement opportunities and rewarding community engagement initiatives jeremy is currently on the board of directors of the jewish federation of southern arizona he is a past board member of the Metropolitan Pima Alliance, the Urban Land Institute, and the Gregory School. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank and, you
1: for having me. Well, oh,
0: Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I've actually, I've been very excited about our interview because we are going to dive deeply today into the dynamics of family business. And um, I thank you in advance for being so candid. Of course. <laughs> uh, starting from the very beginning of this story, Sarita used to be not much more than ranch property and a handful of residential homes that you just, you know, drove past between here and Green Valley. And I think the population at that time was less than 2,000. But in 1994, it incorporated in anticipation of the Ranchers Sarita project. And today, it is a thriving town of 30,000 people. What I find really fascinating about this is, is that your company, which was founded by your father, built that. So you literally grew up with this project. What sense did you have that this would become such a a huge and very public family legacy?
1: Well, thank you again for having us. You know, Rancho Sarita was founded on a vision of to create a better life for people. And my dad created that vision back in the early 1990s. He saw an opportunity to provide an incredible lifestyle for young families. Hmm. And so for over 20 some, 20 some years, 30 years, he's been working towards that vision. Growing up in a family business, hmm. you know, it was family and it was business and in in the in so much of the word. And he would come home and we talk about work. We would go out on work sites, we would experience it. My mom worked the company yep. and we were very small back then. There was maybe 10 employees. Uh, but as soon as the project opened I lifeguarded I took on different <laughs> roles I was doing tours in a golf cart um, so it really became a family affair growing up
0: that's awesome. I didn't know you gave tours in the golf cart I did did you? <laughs> did you what kind of what kind of sense of the scope of the project did you have as a, as a kid I mean you're lifeguarding and you're you're giving tours and like you're looking around, and you know that your family created all of this. What what did that what did that feel like for you?
1: You know, I don't know if I truly understood it. Uh, my dad was always an entrepreneur. Uh, he ever since he was a young boy. I mean, even as a teenager, he was finding ways to bring entrepreneurship into his life. And what I understood was that being an entrepreneur offered our family, as well as our employees, something very special. Mm. But it's also a very stressful experience, both on the family uh, and, and on a team that's working towards that. Yeah. And so, growing up, what I saw were, were my parents, what I saw was my parents working incredibly hard towards the why, towards the mission. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate that. I, I didn't fully understand, there wasn't necessarily a pressure to join the business, but it was a family affair. We were very proud of what our family was doing and what our team was doing.
0: And it's interesting that you say that you that you never felt pressured into joining the business because I've I've met a lot of second and third generation business owners, and, and some of them have been my clients, and they felt that taking over the family business was an inevitability. And you know, some of them really embraced that, and others they. They've taken on the mantle of, of leadership, but I think a part of them has felt that maybe they've missed an opportunity to forge their own path, and they did it more out of a sense of, of obligation. Um, so it's it's really cool to hear that even though your your dad was taking on something very ambitious that was going to take – I mean, it has taken – 20 years and you have many years of development left. So this is a highly visionary project that he probably knew from the start may exceed um, the period of time that he would personally work on it. So somebody was going to have to take that over. But you grew up thinking that you were going to be a veterinarian. I did. So what kind of conversations did your dad have with you if you don't if you don't mind sharing that, um, that made you feel like you really did have a choice versus this was an inevitability and something that you had to do?
1: You know, my parents were incredible at allowing us to explore various interests and various opportunities. And there was never pressure going in one way or another as long as we were moving forward. Mm. Um, You know, my grandfather and great-grandfather had companies. Family company was a part of our legacy. Um, and our heritage, uh, my dad's experience with the family company was a little bit different. And so for him, he valued our relationship and and really valued encouraging me to kind of forge my own path and find my own way. Um, and like you said, I, I wanted to be a vet, um, Mm -hmm. you know, applied early to Colorado State University, got in the pre-vet program, uh, Walked into my first science class and realized I really didn't like science. Um, and, but what that enabled me to
0: do. Kind of necessary if you want to
1: be right? that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what that enabled me to do was to start exploring what I do like. What, what am I passionate about? I, I, I founded my first company at 18. Uh, didn't necessarily go as planned, but the lessons learned were incredible.
0: What, what was, you know
1: company? it was a, uh, ironically, it was a media company. Really? Um, I saw an opportunity for a magazine and and a website kind of focusing on the millennial and which we can talk about a little bit later, but mm-hmm. that millennial demographic, that twenty something demographic in where I was in Northern Colorado, um, got to the point where I was about to publish. Had, all, had everything lined up and ready to go and, and just didn't quite work out. But the lesson from that is I ended up transitioning it to a different type of media company and it became online and, and worked on more from a consulting standpoint. Hmm. But the experiences there kind of started me on this path of both entrepreneurship and management and, and allowed me to then come to where I am today. After that, I ended up coming back to Arizona, um, worked on that company here. Kind of helped out my my dad and the family mm-hmm. um, when I was in town. I was still going to school, helped hel- helped out the company as needed, but ultimately I was still on my own path. Um, and it really wasn't until after I, re- I finished my MBA at the University of Arizona at Eller College of Management that I saw the opportunity in front of me and really saw the need to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, after graduating, there was clearly some opportunity to bring my own skill sets, my own experiences to our company mm-hmm. um, and really to, to provide value. Still didn't think I'd stay for the long term. Ended up working with our team um, to look at our, as you mentioned, I'm Passionate about organizational change, organizational mm-hmm. structure, and really looking at our organization in a different way, mm-hmm. um, and marketing, and started working in that area, an area that my dad wasn't necessarily focused on. So it, it really worked out well that I was bringing in a different a different expertise or a different experience in that way.
0: And it probably helped, also. I mean, I think one of the the big things in family businesses is the dynamic that works at home isn't necessarily the one that works in the office place. And the fact that you and your dad bring different skills to the table probably made it easier to carve out your own roles. So, you know, it can still be collaborative, but you're not stepping on each other's toes. Did that make it easier to work with one another?
1: That did. You know, I I, I think if we had to work in a more formal um, and and organized way Mm -hmm. where that would have been more challenging. I know a lot of family companies do that. You know, yeah. we experience my growth in our company and, and our team's growth in our company is much more organic. Hmm. Um, where I know many other family companies, and, and you would know this better than I would, are much more formal. They have a formal training program for, for um, next generation that wants to get involved. We hmm. weren't like that. Um, literally, up until, uh, up until my dad, and I can speak to this, my dad has a glioblastoma, which is an aggressive form of brain cancer, and up until that diagnosis, I still thought this was temporary. You know, I was mm-hmm. in my twenties, I was living in in Tucson, I was single, um, kind of had that 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 will and that drive and that that desire to go to a bigger city, mm-hmm. um, go try something new, but ultimately, I found myself here, and um, ultimately, I found myself with a. An experience that led me a, and, and led my family down a path to that if this would have happened, um, you know, I don't know where I'd be. But yeah. regardless, the fact is that my experiences that led us to where we are today and that desire and, and really that drive of my parents to allow us to kind of forge our own path and, and that, that value system they instilled in us. Has enabled me to play the role I play today with our with our team, our company, and also within our family.
0: And I imagine knowing that they always left it to you to make a choice, and that you had the the freedom to do that, really made it feel like, oh, this is what I want to do. It isn't out so much out of a sense of obligation or inevitability. It is a, a genuine passion. For what you're doing. Although when your dad was diagnosed originally, I mean, thank God, you know, today he's he's doing well. But you said he was given, I think, four months to live?
1: Yeah. In, in 2015, my dad was diagnosed with gliplastoma um, and was given four to 15 months to live. Uh, at the time, I was 20, about 26 years old. Yeah. And That was a turning point within our within both our relationship, but also our our family um, and and our company and how our company was able to to really strive, strive during that time. Um, But he was diagnosed and there was still a choice. Yeah. You know, my my parents have instilled a value system in us um, that there was never I was never going to not do this. But I had to personally make the choice to do it, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, it does. and accept that and, and, and embrace it. Um, I talk to a lot of next generation, mm-hmm. and my advice to those family members or even, um, you know, even the third generation, my advice is always embrace it, you know, make the choice. And if this is going to be your choice, then embrace it and and use your skill sets to improve the business and improve the relationships.
0: Hmm. Did you, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine being in your shoes and you, your father has this very intense illness and I'm sure very intensive treatment protocol and you're going through that just as a son. I mean, that in and of itself is a lot to handle. And then there's also kind of this, this gap that now exists on the company side of things and the need for someone to come in and be part of the organization, and it's not that you don't have an amazing leadership team. It's not that there weren't already people who were in place um, to run the the business and make day to day decisions. But how did you, how did you come to terms with both being your father's son? personally in helping him through this illness and then also coming to really embrace that this was a choice and not something that you had to do because of the illness.
1: You know, we're incredibly fortunate. The majority of our leadership team has been with us, you know, over 15 years. Uh, my CFO has been with us 20 years, our one of our vice presidents of development has been with us 18 years. Uh, My marketing manager has been with us seven years. And so when this happened, that team was incredibly strong. Mm -hmm. And we are truly a family company uh, by every every definition of the word. That we not only share our experiences with our team, Mm -hmm. you know, we've been very open with our team about this and they've been right there with us. And we have over 100 year-round employees during the summer that pops up due to um, seasonal employees, but we couldn't have done this without them. We couldn't be doing this without them as a son, as a family, and also as a leader in our company. Um, And I can't stress that enough, that you need good people and you need the right people on the bus, so to say, Yes. Um, and a strong culture to move an organization through a um, challenges like this, mm-hmm. whether it's economic or whether it's, you know, the founder has health issues, we built that foundation. Mm-hmm. So when that occurs, the foundation was there and it wasn't immediate, you know, it wasn't a snap of the fingers that I, that I stepped into the role that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I, I go back to the organic, even once that occurred, there was still an organic experience to grow into, to the, to the role that I play today. Mm-hmm. um, And and ensure that our organization has grown in the same way. Um, You know, as I look at, I talk a lot about values with our team. We talk a lot about the why. Mm -hmm. And that is our culture. You know, our culture is that we strive to create a better life for people. Uh, But that includes our employees. That includes our families. And we want to make sure that our team members are part of our family Mm -hmm. and understand it. Um, You know, I'll never forget there's been, we do employee luncheons, you know, every quarter where we honor employees and team members. And, and I know
0: you've personally delivered cupcakes to every single person. Uh, well, <laughs>
1: I don't know every single, but uh, <laughs> I, I was down there a couple of weeks last week and uh, talking to people. And, you know, I've known many of our team members for a long time. 50% of our staff has been with us for more than five years, 17% longer than 10 years. And, nice. and so we've had, we've had experiences as a team and, and we're incredibly authentic mm. and some organi- some consultants and some corporations may disagree with that and managers may disagree with that. And that's, you know, that's their right. But on the same side of it, it's who we are and it's yeah. the value system. And so I, I bring that up because that's what helps us get through. Mm-hmm. And we've, we're incredibly fortunate enough. My dad has survived now over four years. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, another tumor has returned last june but he continues to to fight and and throughout this time my dad looked to while we were working on our company he was still very engaged still highly highly engaged on key decisions Mm -hmm. but he also focused a lot more of his time on what mattered to him and not only healing Mm -hmm. but helping people that were inflicted with the same disease and he has talked to probably four or five dozen different cancer patients he's raised uh, with the help of various cancer walks that we've done, um, oh, close to a million dollars or over a million dollars for brain cancer research. Wow. Um, and that's really become his mission. So he took the same entrepreneur spirit that he has and really put it towards finding a cure for glioblastoma and brain cancer. And it was hmm. because of ranchers or because of our team, hmm. that he was able to really step away uh, and, and do that and, and be engaged on high level decisions. But our day-to-day operations, you know, really allow that to occur with myself and our team.
0: And I'm, I'm really glad that you opened up about that and shared that with people because I think that one of kind of the, the fallacies out there for small business owners, I know that you have a much longer, uh, larger company, but, I think small business owners who have maybe, you know, anywhere from five to thirty employees, let's say, in in that area, they think that they're not big enough to have to worry about culture or being mission driven or empowering uh, other employees to take on the day to day, and yet that's exactly what keeps them in survival mode. But your company was built not just to survive, but to thrive. And it was because of that, because you're mission driven, because you're values driven, that you were able to step away and deal with with something that was very intense and very traumatic for the family, but do it in a healthy and productive way and not feel like you have to scramble. And I think that sometimes that's, what happens with um, the folks that I've met who are taking over a family business and they feel that it is an obligation rather than a choice. And it's because their parents have built a business that is completely dependent upon the one person. It is dependent upon the parent. And Mm -hmm. so they want the child to take it over. Whereas if you build a company that is more self-sufficient you have more options available to you and not just to you but to your children who don't have to feel guilted into taking over the family business. So I really view your story as a model for how it can be regardless of the size of the company that you're taking over. So I I was really <laughs> excited for you to get more into the, the guts of your story because I, I very much respect it. Well,
1: I think the key part is vision alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I th- I get the question often, how do you compare my father's vision with my vision? Yes. And I always kind of chuckle because it's the same vision, which has made any type of organic growth for myself um, much easier. Hmm. There was... I am fully bought in, and our team's fully bought in in this idea of how do you create a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may have different experiences, or we may in, we may be a different size company today than when my dad started, and it was five people or ten people. Yeah, you know, and he was struggling, and and things are you know it's a recession, and things are tough. Um, and we're a much larger company now, but we still have all those same struggles. Mm-hmm. We still are constantly worried about recessions. We're still have the same types of challenges that we had when we were much smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the same side of it though, we have to deliver on our promise. We have to deliver on our mission.
0: And you're and, very clear about what your promise and what your mission is. We are. And that's
1: the difference. And, and that's the important part. Um, start with the why, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great book. And out of all the books and I and I read often that that goes to the heart of our company And and what's the why. And if we have team members that are not don't believe in that why, mm-hmm. they just don't belong at our at our company. Right. Um and and but going to the vision alignment between family members I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. Understanding that it's not your father's vision or your mother's vision, it's not your vision. It's it's the collective vision, and if both people or the or family members can put, kind of put down the ego mm-hmm. to some extent, and it mm-hmm. and, and respect, I think there's a lot of respect. Um, you know, as I was thinking through in your talk, I was thinking kind of what values represent kind of our relationship,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and there's I think the vision alignment's really important, uh, but it's also respect. I have. So much respect for my father. Always has. Always have. And he is one of the most tenacious business people that you'll ever meet. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the most ethical. Mm -hmm. And that's how we, although we might have evolved to some extent, um, and he's, again, still engaged. But even as we've grown, those values, the respect, respecting each other, um, ethics, you know, we we talk a lot about business ethics. We talk a lot about um, about connecting and and treating each other with respect. In that way, um, that's at the heart of him and my mom. Mm-hmm. And he's brought that to our company. He's brought that to our company in a way that people can grab onto. And I think it's really, we don't have our values written down. You know, mm-hmm. we're not, we should, probably should. Um, <laughs> but people feel them. Yeah. You know. If and you, they, practice and they practice them. Yeah. Um, and they practice them. And so I think that's the important part.
0: So I imagine that that was something else that uh, was such an inherent part of the company. It made your transition a lot easier. Because again, you're trying to put myself in, in your shoes. You are 26 when this when this transition started to take place, and your your father had his diagnosis, and you're working with key leadership who have been with the company for twenty some odd years, I'm assuming you know they're they're older than you are, and so you're coming in as COO. Well, and I think it's important to say leadership. to remember
1: that that's not how I came in. When we say organically, okay. it's truly organic. Okay, you know, and it's and there was never the assumption, mm. you know, I I don't, we're not a title family.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We always joke, we, we, we always joke around that titles don't really matter. And then I'm always, one, one of my managers always reminds me, but it does matter. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you can call me whatever you'd like, and I'm going to continue operating and growing in the same way. Right. And our team does that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it wasn't until probably, last year that that title or even recently even yeah even that that title came out i was a vice president and um but i just kept growing and doing the work and so I again no ego just I'm, I'm here to do the work and work with our team and and i think that's the important part again it's not a jump oh now i'm in charge mm-hmm. um it was how are we growing and working together to achieve our mission and and, and to, to move forward.
0: Which, Um, and the mission that everyone ascribes to. Correct. So that's, that levels the playing field. Yeah. And, and of course
1: you have, you know, ultimately I have to make decisions on day to day. My CFO has to make decisions on day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, Very large decisions. You know, my dad's really engaged in um, my community director makes hundreds of decisions every day. She has the, the grunt of our employees, probably 60 or 70 employees year round. Um, so without that team, you know, we wouldn't be who we are. And, mm-hmm. and I keep going back to that, that that the team enables a family company. I realize it's a little bigger and I can speak to it, but the, the team enables a family, especially if you respect the team and treat the team in, in a way that they feel that they're bought in, mm-hmm. the, the team enables you to, when things happen, they'll step up as well. And our team did that. They took on new roles, new responsibilities. Um, we continued improving ourselves. So even during this challenging time, we continued looking at the organization. We continued tinkering with it, exploring it, and and growing it organically and growing roles organically for people.
0: So for a, for a smaller business, I mean, kind of casting your memory back to when you first started, what advice do you have for let's say, a family-owned business that is starting to think about succession planning and they genuinely want it to be their kid's choice whether they take over the family business. And if they choose to become involved, they're going to have to introduce them in some way to the existing structure and the existing staff. So based on your experience, what what advice could you give someone looking to start that process so it is kind of a, a softer, more organic process rather than here's the title that you're ultimately working toward and here's how you're going to insert yourself into the situation.
1: You know, my experience and our experience was different. Um, I saw a need and I stepped into that need um, without the intent mm. of staying. And um, and taking and and being involved on the highest level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the lesson learned is still the same. Mm-hmm. That f- bring that person in in to provide value. Um, kind of my dad's and my deal when I was, uh, when, I, when I stepped in the company was as long as I was providing value mm-hmm. and the company was receiving value, mm-hmm. it was an equal balance. Okay. Um, And those early days of me joining the company, as soon as that started getting unequal, we needed to rethink the relationship. Um, And that enabled my dad and I to be Mm -hmm. very frank with each other, to work through um, challenging conversations as Mm -hmm. both the son and father have, as well as the employee and employer have. Mm -hmm. Um, But understanding at the core of it, it was all about value. How am I bringing value? And if I keep that at the heart of what I do every day Mm -hmm. to ensure that no matter it doesn't, I don't care about titles, I don't care, as long as I'm able to bring value,
2: um,
1: then we'll continue moving forward. Uh, uh, We belong to a couple family business groups, and many companies have more of a structured plan uh, for that, as you you were alluding to. Mm -hmm. And as I've listened to these plans, as I've listened to these families present, my biggest takeaway is is similar to what I just said. Was prov- start that individual in a place where there's the greatest need, mm-hmm. where they have the skill sets or can grow into that. Um, but at the core of it, I would say put down the egos and focus on the
0: value. That's excellent advice. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. <laughs> of course, uh, we're going to take a quick break. This is Small Biz Big Voices, hosted by Stephanie Rising. I'm a small business coach on a mission to get business owners off their hamster wheel and empower them as authentic and influential leaders. My coaching program centers around the seven primal business needs. Today, I'm visiting with Jeremy Sharp of the Rancho Serita Company. Um, so kind of in, in that vein, you know, everyone being centered around um, a common mission, common value, uh, common sense of goals, you know, you're, you said your dad is a, a very visionary person. You have such a passion for organizational structures, the people working within them. Um, you you and your father have that in common. I mean, in ter- the, the mission and the values part in common, but your dad has a very different style than you do. And your focus is a little bit different in terms of your areas of expertise. So I'm assuming the the one kind of non-negotiable that you feel obligated to uphold is you know, creating a better life for people. In what way do you feel that you're able to maybe take things in a slightly different direction or approach something in your own style versus maybe how your father would have approached it?
1: My dad is a brilliant entrepreneur. He takes Clearly. Cal- he built a town. Clearly. <laughs> he he telling me to He he takes incredible risk, calculated risk, that not many people can do. Yeah. Uh, we were at a development meeting and with a group of the four kind of the forty top developers around the country, all good friends of my dad, and he's telling his story. This was early on. And somebody got up, one of his good friends got up and said he said bobby the you have a greater chance of surviving brain cancer than you do than you had when you built rancho Sarita and be successful and that's how hard wow. it is to do this business yeah um, you know just to put it into perspective well
0: and the fact that he did both is <laughs> well pretty amazing he, he's,
1: he's fighting brain cancer you know but he did pass that you know he's passed that 4 year mark which is pretty remarkable yes. and um you know he he's Done incredible things for, for brain cancer and continues, but it's that he also approached brain cancer in the same way in his, his own treatment. In mm-hmm. that entrepreneur, tenacious, he is going to do everything he can to, to keep living. And, uh, but going back to styles and so forth, mm-hmm. there are a couple of non negotiables, I would say, uh, to use that word. Uh, first is people. You know, my dad, my grandfather, um, and then my dad and myself were very Dale Carnegie focused. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, Mm -hmm. I I read my first Dale Carnegie book when I was 12 years old. Um, My dad's copy. And (laughs) uh, we send all of our team through different Dale Carnegie programs, among other types of training. But it's all about the idea of people Mm -hmm. and treating people fairly, getting to know people, um, helping that person and making that person feel good about themselves. That's at the core of who my dad is. And so we share a lot of that. Um, my dad is definitely more of the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, I clearly have some of that aspect in me, mm-hmm. uh, but I am more of, I would say, on the management side. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the entrepreneurship side, but to do what my dad did, you needed to be such a tenacious entrepreneur and just go. And, and you know, that's not me. And, and I think it's important to kind of know your skills
0: um, well, and the, the company is certainly at that point in its life cycle where you're you're not a startup. You're in sustainability. Even though well, the, the and, time and continues I think, to grow, your skill set is actually very well, well matched. Well, and I think,
1: yeah. And, and I think that's an important part to, to recognize in business and in, in family businesses and in business in general, there's life cycles. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be in a, I wouldn't be a good fit with our company 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the same extent that I am now, you know, I bring and I bring a, a skill set that enables us to be more successful. It, it capitalizes on my dad's skill sets and what mm-hmm. he's good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I really do feel and I and I, I would hope he feels the same. Uh, you know, we're a really good match and a good team. You know, he's he's one of my best friends. And after mm-hmm. my wife, of course, I should say after my wife and my mother. Um, <laughs> but. That's a smart move. I know, uh, right? <laughs> the two women in my life here. Um, but that, so a couple things. I, I mean, from a different standpoint, he's that entrepreneur. He he wants to tell a team member to go do something and just trust it's getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lot like that as well. And so I work in a very much the same way. But I also recognize the organizational side of it and and understanding that you need to build the foundation. Yeah. Um, and my dad was an entrepreneur, did really, really well. The company grew. Um, all of a sudden, he, it became a, a company Yes. with employees. And so that's when I was able to really step in and provide some support and step into that role. And then over time, grew into a position um, and address some of my weaknesses. And I think it's important for that next generation to, and, and anybody really, to look at where are your weaknesses, and, and where can you grow, and where can you expand, um, and and that level of self self development uh, is incredibly important, especially in an entrepreneur based family company. Yes, and, and so although yes, we're a little bit larger now, um, we still value the entrepreneurship side. We mm-hmm. still watch every um, penny that we have. We still we invest a little bit differently. So I will invest in team members and we'll do different things because we are able to, but we still have that mentality. Mm-hmm. And so that continues on. Um, but then we're able to bring in a little bit more of that organizational development.
0: So also kind of the along the, the leadership line, as a millennial, how do you think you lead people differently? Because I, I know... Millennials are much maligned <laughs> by older generations. I have clients who are just perpetually frustrated by their younger employees because they, they can't kind of get their arms around what the millennial workforce is looking for. And millennials are now the, the largest living workforce. They're the largest living buying force. They're very powerful, but they are confusing to boomers and to even Gen Xers. So what what do you feel the millennial leadership style is and and what is it, how is it that they make their contributions?
1: That's a loaded question. It's a pretty big question. I can only speak personally in our team. I, I think I was listening to NPR this morning and there was a report a new report came out about what millennials prefer in the workplace. Hmm. And the number one aspect was flexibility. And the reasoning that, that, that they found was that as millennials, we grew up and, and early Gen Xers or late Gen Xers grew up in a very connected world. Mm -hmm. So we were all, there was no nine to five. We saw our parents always connected. Um, and so that work life integration becomes even more important, hmm. and and as I listened to that, it related back to our company. You know, something that we talk a lot about in our company is the flexibility. As uh, you know, we're a family, right? That that flexibility. We want to ensure that God forbid something happens to, to, to your child and he breaks a leg or he's um, he's sick, that your that our team feels. Like, they can go take care of their their needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I probably brought, because of that experience, right, I I think I brought a level of understanding that my dad, it's not that he didn't appreciate it. um, He just, to some extent, didn't see it.
0: Well, and like you said, you used the word integration, which I think is is the key. (coughs) It's not like you're at work and you can only be at work. Or you're in your personal life and you can only be in your personal life, that that's a little more fluid and that that's OK and it's embraced.
1: Yeah. And we've built our culture around that. You know, that really started from my dad and my mom. Um, it's, but then myself and our team and our, and our key team members, we are able to really expand the culture to provide benefits and provide a work environment that touched onto that. And whether that's a millennial experience or whether that's, I don't know, but we have all generations working in our company. Mm-hmm. And it seems that all generations appreciate that level of work-life integration.
0: Hmm. That's good to know. <laughs> I am going to share that with uh, with clients. They, they struggle because there's still, there seems to be this, this kind of battle between the old nine to five, you know, the expectation that you're going to be accessible during certain hours um, or there's an expectation that you're going to get a better work product if you're physically sitting in the same building as opposed to telecommuting. I, I think people know that this is the direction that things are heading in, but they're having difficulty seeing how to adapt to that in their own business. And I think some of them, that fluidity can go both ways. That because there isn't this clear delineation of nine to five, I'm at work. And apart from that, it's my own life and it's my private time. That there's some fear. And I share this fear that I'm going to be too accessible And people aren't going to respect when it's your downtime and it's your personal time. And then it's actually harder to enforce healthy boundaries because, ah, well, you know, it could be nine o'clock at night, but if the mood strikes, I'm going to send off a whole round of emails and it makes it look like, well, I'm usually working at nine o'clock at night as opposed to, well, maybe that's that's an anomaly and I'm just kind of in the mood kind of a thing.
1: Well, it's a cultural, you know, if your culture... Isn't set up for that. Yeah. Um, bringing somebody in to work remotely or have that that flexibility probably isn't the right fit. Um, but you talk about boundary. We work, I work, I'm always connected. I'll get up and send an email up at 5 a.m. in the morning um, and then go work out.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and, and that's how I work. Yeah. And so I think part of it is that, and that's to be honest, that's how my dad works. You know, my, my dad's an entrepreneur. Growing up, he was working. Always home for dinner, but working all the time, right? Yeah. You know, coach soccer teams, but he was work was always on the mind. When you're a small business, yeah, you have to, and recognize that if you expect your employees to do the same, then you need that integration. Hmm. You know, I if I'm emailing on a Sunday and, and an employee writes me back, okay, that's great. Um, that employee can leave early if they choose, if they need to go take their daughter to a doctor you know, we empower our, especially certain levels. You know, there are some positions if you work at a front desk at a health club or, you know, there's some, or a lifeguard. There's some positions that's not able, but if you're a professional position and for us, that integration, I think, has made us uh, a better team. Uh, It's made us a more engaged community of a team to some extent, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was a transition. My dad, you know, my, my parents definitely... Believed in that eight to five to some Mm -hmm. extent, um, but also wanted you to be available on on the weekends because that's how that's how this was done. Right. Um, And our team works incredibly hard, incredibly hard. And sometimes I get emails on the weekends. Sometimes they know if I email on the weekend, they don't have to respond.
0: And Um, And that's key. It sounds to me like what this is all based on is a mutual respect. That as long as work is getting accomplished and the results are being achieved and everyone is still working toward that mission, the way in which you get there and the timeframes in which you get there are kind of mutually respected and accepted. And I I think that goes a long way toward combating this anxiety where – well, if I email you at five in the morning before I do my workout, are you automatically going to be contacting me at five a.m. every single morning because you think that's when my day begins? Yeah. Kind of a thing, and and I think that's where people get nervous. Well, and it's it's also about communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's 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 Good communicating. Point. If you're if you're the leader, the manager is communicating with your team. Um, Hey, if I email you, I'm. that's just, I work in the morning. That's when I, it's when I, my creative juices are going, are flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, don't worry about it. You know, get back to me when you can. Yeah. Or the other way, hey, I really need you here Tuesday afternoons, no matter what. Yeah. You know, or you can leave early some days, but I need you this weekend. Or I need you to work this event. Or I need you to do this. And it's that communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and communication also goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I have a team member who's an incredibly important asset and helps me every single day. Very clear about boundaries. And I respect that. Yeah. And, and I don't. And it's only in absolute emergencies that I will kind of break those boundaries to some extent mm-hmm. as, as the manager. And I'll say, hey, listen, I, I'm so sorry. But it's that level of respect um, and communication
0: mm-hmm. is, is key. So communication and integration, I think, are the two words we're going to end our interview on. Oh, well, perfect. You've you've given me a lot to think about. I appreciate it. And so now it is time for the Proust lightning round.
1: All right. So
0: the Proust questionnaire was a parlor game popularized by the French essayist and novelist Marcel Proust. He believed that by answering 35 specific questions, an individual reveals their true nature. We're gonna go through as many questions as we can in just three minutes. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, the first is, what do you most value in your friends?
1: Oh, um, sorry, I should go quicker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone always gets stumped.
1: I know, that's a good one to start with. I I would say, appreciation slash loyalty kind mm-hmm. of some extent that that full trust side of it mm-hmm. okay it's like three things but it counts okay we'll mush it all all right, into all right mush little, it all to it's what, a, a one big uh
0: who are your favorite writers
1: who so I, I love simon sinek from start with why adam yep. grant um, i love adam, adam grant. grant's great oh he's amazing um, yeah, um let's go with those two
0: okay he has a good podcast too
1: he does what is it, work with Adam Grant or uh, work, at work? Work or life. Work life. Yeah. Work life integration. He talks exactly. a lot about it. Integration
0: yep. communication. Um, which historical figure do you most identify with?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I might pass. Okay. Can I pass? You can pass. I might pass on that one. All right. I haven't
0: thought about that. Who are your heroes in real life?
1: Well, I think my My father. Um, you know, I can expand on it, but uh, he definitely is and continues to be. He was when I was growing up and, and continues to amaze me with his, uh, passion and his dedication and his fight, Mm -hmm. um, and how he views the world. I've learned a lot from him and continue to learn a lot every day.
2: That's awesome.
0: What is it that you most dislike?
1: Ooh, I have a couple pet pet like pet peeves. I have a couple oh, yeah. pet peeves. Let her, let her um, rip. you know communication is key mm-hmm. and and in and I'll and I'll use it from a business standpoint, I think follow up and uh, professionalism is key mm-hmm. to business development and if I don't feel that or I don't see that it's a, it's, a, it's a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. Actually came up last week on sometime. Um, also ego Uh, I I would say Mm -hmm. ego and showboating, it's just not, I don't connect to it. It's just not, not who I am. It's not who my family is. It's just, you know, you do things, you, you do charity, you give, you know, love and kindness, you, you, you give back and you are authentic and ego Mm -hmm. to some extent is counter that and Mm -hmm. challenges it. We all have ego, but it challenges a key part of aspects of what I believe in.
0: Yes. Those are good ones. I don't particularly care for those myself. (laughs) And Last but not least, which words or phrases do you most overuse?
1: Oh, uh, my wife would say I overuse "amazing." Um, <laughs> she says I, I say everything's amazing. Um, I, I would say "amazing." I I probably overuse. Um, Yeah, let's go with amazing. That's definitely one.
0: I I definitely overuse (laughs) awesome.
1: Awesome. Awesome
0: is just my go-to kind of happy word. Yeah. Yeah, I need to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) All right, I challenge you. Use amazing. I'll use awesome. Use amazing. All right, we'll trade. Perfect. All right, so George, honey, if you're listening, you're going to hear me say amazing all the time. Uh, So I'd love to have you chime in at the end of our last segment. Dear Coach gives our listeners the chance to have their emailed questions addressed. And today's Dear Coach is about how you demonstrate ethics in your business, which turns out to be a very timely topic because of today's interview. Uh, I am really excited to be the recent recipient of a BBB Torch Award for Ethics, and the application process gave me a lot of opportunity to reflect on things that I simply do, but maybe I've been taking them for granted. You know, I think a lot of conscientious business owners are like that. We are focused on taking care of our clients the best way that we know how, and it this just isn't something that we necessarily articulate let alone document. So you know, like Nike, we just do it. And yet the effect of what we do matters a lot to our clients, our employees, and our community. So I thought I'd take everyone through how I answered one question in particular to give you a few ideas for things that you can do to put some structure around all of your good efforts. Because if you have a structure, you have something that you can explain. And if you can explain it, then you can use it to distinguish yourself from your competitors. So the question was, please discuss any broad measures you have taken to infuse more ethics across operations in your company. Now, since I'm a solopreneur, I don't have a lot in the way of operations. But as a coach, I do get into the guts of those kinds of things with clients who have much more complex businesses than my own. So here are three ways that I help them which you can put to use in your company. And uh, my brilliant guest today has done, I think, just about all of these. Uh, First, you can develop a purpose, mission, vision, and value statement. I think sometimes business owners sometimes write this off as fluff that lacks true meaning. You know, it's kind of one of those, sure, I'll hang it in the lobby, but then we're all going to forget to look at it. And yet when I go through this exercise with clients asking them to keep drilling down their answers to the most essential elements, it's like they reawaken to why they get up every morning ready to take on the responsibilities that they shoulder. That connection to their sense of purpose, to wanting to share their values and promote a highly ethical standard of conduct, that becomes their primary driving force. This has led businesses to act on any number of stated values from decreasing their eco footprint by going entirely paperless, to donating a percentage of their profits to a charity whose cause is near to their hearts. One of my clients is a plumbing company that sponsors the Southern Arizona Humane Society, and they recently updated their branding to incorporate dogs and cats and the HSSA uh, logo, and they pay the adoption fee for the featured pet of the week. And they're constantly getting positive comments about their newly wrapped trucks. So by sharing their values, which they do genuinely hold, it's also had this amazing impact on their marketing. Secondly, you can distinguish between owning a business and leading one. Employers are faced with hiring, training, disciplining, mentoring, firing, marketing, networking, budgeting. Understandably, it's tempting to throw work at employees, expect them to read your mind and hope that they just figure it out. Choosing instead to invest time in mentoring your greatest resource is the difference between owning a business and leading a business. Employers have to lead their teams so they feel invested, empowered and valued. The result is leadership at every level. And that has profound effects, both professionally and personally. Professionally, you'll enjoy less drama with better employee and client retention. Personally, you are helping other people to find their voice. And you may be surprised how many good ideas and observations they share once they've found it. And thirdly, you can practice the humane art of firing. Teaching business owners how to fire employees may not seem like an obvious example of ethics, but I have found this an extremely important point. Avoiding uncomfortable conversations with problematic employees poses a lot of ethical problems, not the least of which it's sending the message to productive employees that their contribution is valued equally to someone who lacks results or a good attitude, If an employer can't fire an obviously bad employee, it's usually an indicator that they also have a hard time upholding other principles that are inherent to running a high-caliber organization. Business owners need to be diplomatically open and honest with employees about their performance. If you do that, then you are modeling a high level of respect and conduct for everyone in your company. You can have a respectful conversation in which you let an employee go, knowing that a good person can be a bad fit. In the process, you're demonstrating to good employees that their efforts and integrity are valued, respected, and expected to continue. So Jeremy, in the couple of minutes that we have left, what, what are one or two other ways that a business owner could contribute to an ethical workplace?
1: I think the first step is acknowledging that there's always a choice. Business mm. is hard mm-hmm. every single day, uh, whether it's a decision, whether to fire somebody or you're dealing with a tough client or you're selling a product and, or, or even a piece of property. I could say uh, working in our business mm-hmm. and somebody comes in and wants to pay a higher price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have a choice how you treat your competition, how you treat your adversaries to some extent. Mm. It's all a choice. Mm-hmm. And so i would remember that where you are constantly have opportunities for choice to have ethical interactions and to make the ethical choice that is aligned to your values that that we talked about today and that you Mm -hmm. spoke about it's i mean i loved your number one those values and that mission is so key Mm -hmm. and if that choice doesn't match up or isn't aligned to it Mm -hmm. um a better word it's that then that's not the right ethical choice for you. I would say that's number one. On firing, I, I find that interesting. That uh, the I've heard a saying, and and a lesson from a consultant actually shared this with me, that people watch how you fire. Yep. And if you aren't able to fire in an ethical and a respectful way and treat people with the respect that they deserve,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um your other employees are watching that. Yes, And so making sure, I I found that really interesting, making sure that the way you let people go and also hire Mm -hmm. are, again, aligned to your values, mission, and so forth. Uh, The the last thing is training. Yes. Um, Is invest in training. It's worth it. Um, And whether that's sending people to a class or bringing in a consultant or reading books, You know, something we do often is we buy books for everybody Mm. or our senior leadership team, and we all read books together. And we talk about key leadership lessons so we can learn from each other. And that's something that even if you're a five-person team, buy five books, spend $100, and read the book together. Read Adam Grant's books. Read um, Dale Carnegie. And Mm. talk about those principles. And talk about, and that level of training will ensure that if you are not there, that your team members and your employees are acting in an ethical way as you would act.
0: I, and I love that idea because people, when you're reading a book, it's always interesting to see what each person keys in on because people see different things. You're coming at it from your own perspective. So I might read something and think, you know, this chapter over here was enormously important and this is where we need to devote our, our energy And yet, someone's going to pick up on something entirely different. And when they explain why that was important to them, um, you can see why that actually needs to be the the priority, or maybe more people relate to it. So I I love kind of the company (laughs) book club idea. Exactly, that's great. Thank you. Of course, those are good points. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. If you have a question or problem you'd like for us to talk about during our dear coach segment please email me at stephanie at risingeffect.com. You can also find today's show notes on my Small Biz Big Voices Facebook page. My thanks again to my guest, Jeremy Sharp of the Rancho Sarita Company, my producer, Mark Bishop, and to you for joining us on Small Biz Big Voices.